0: This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. You're listening to Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School.
1: Welcome back to Dollars and Change here on Business Radio, channel 132, powered by the Wharton School. I'm Sandy Hunt. And I'm Cheryl Kuhlman. And we're delighted to be welcoming you back for another conversation about the intersection of business and impact. Yep. Welcome Stacey Diarmas to the show. Stacey is a storyteller, consumer, behaviorist, and thought leader joining us from Nielsen. Welcome to the show, Stacy.
0: Thank you so much.
1: Happy to be here. We're delighted to have you. I imagine many of our guests know the name Nielsen, just yes, enough to know that it's a big company. Yeah, it's yeah. You know, keeping a pulse on what consumers want. Tell us why uh, you're excited to be talking about social impact and how, how Nielsen how and why Nielsen cares about that topic.
0: Um, great. Well, thank you so much again for having me. I, I think when people usually hear of Nielsen, they think of, as you said, you know, a big company or they think of television ratings, right? right. They think of the Nielsen ratings, which they always hear. Um, and we do do a lot of that as a, a you know, core part of our business and, and market research and uh, retailer measurement. Uh, but one thing we also do is uh, economic and social science research and uh, a product of that is a report that we just released yesterday on the latinx consumer and you know as we're talking about social impact i think it's really important to understand sort of where the hispanic community is today in the u.s and what the trajectory looks like to this community It's, it's it's impressive it's certainly been a tough road recently Mm -hmm. um, but i think when you take a look at the community and what they're contributing and um frankly what the trajectory looks like it's it's pretty hard to to close your eyes to the the economic engine
1: without a doubt and paint that picture for us with some statistics when we talk about the economic Economic engine engine of the latinx community what are we talking about
0: Well, you know, um, the numbers that we're looking at now are about $1.9 trillion in spending power in just the next three years. And that is, um, you know, greater than the GDP of of many countries, you know, Australia and others. So in the U.S., Latinos are contributing a significant amount. but, But perhaps most interesting is when you look at their contribution of growth to the U.S., because we're not just I think oftentimes people look at this data and they think, well, this is just, you know, population, right? More people. Um, but because this population tends to be so much younger, it's really the future of the worst uh, workforce of America. Mm-hmm. And when you think about it that way, you know, it's not only the future, you know, of, of the children in our classrooms and our and our coworkers, but really, you know, where, what, who are the people that are going to be carrying America to, um, you know, its next height. And I think that's, That is, you know, equally interesting. The community of all of the growth in uh, the population in the U.S. total, uh, Latinos are contributing about 52%. And this is from a population that only makes up about 18%, right? So you have 18% of the population of the U.S. contributing 52% of its growth. So, um, while when you stand back, you say, well, this is, you know, one in six, uh, I think upon closer inspection, you can see, well, we have, you know, 60% of the Hispanic population that is millennial are or, or younger, a full third that is 18 or younger. This is the future face of America. So brands, um, policymakers, you know, really need to kind of sit up and think about the issues that are important to Latinos today. And there are, there are many, you know, the current, uh, there are some trying times. And how do you really sort of, uh, not just align yourself to move a product, right? Because that's, Certainly, uh, you know, n- not what I think is most important, but um, really authentically engage and have dialogue with this community that helps uplift, support, stand with, and stand by this community through these trying times uh, and moving forward to build some real loyalty.
2: And so, how do you suggest that a let's say a small or to medium sized company? Takes advantage of that information and really thinks about how they're going to, you know, structure their. Let's say it's a consumer-facing product business. What are they? What are they to do? Yeah, smaller brands. That's that's such a great,
0: you know, opportunity because they're Latinos, as uh, as you you may know, are uh, really leading in, in entrepreneurial pursuits in the U.S. as well. But um, you know, I think the most important thing is if we, you know, you take a big report like this and you think, how can this apply to me and right. my business and in my neighborhood? Uh, and I would say, a lot of the things you're already going to understand, right? But some of the insights here, like the cultural predispositions Latinos have to um, connecting with one another, and the the expectation out of those dialogues can help inform you engage locally or regionally, and how you message and what you provide more than for you know for any other community, uh, Latinos uh, have an expectation of a dialogue, a two-way, of, of their interactions with brands, with, with policymakers again, with, uh, you know, with, with artists and, and with entertainment properties. They have an expectation of a very personal dialogue, a very personal two-way dialogue hmm. that we don't see among same-aged counterparts that are uh, non-Hispanic white. And a lot of that is because we're culturally predisposed to be that way, right? It's very gregarious, a lot of dialogue. And, and it's interesting because those things that, you know, we may perceived to be true, and we in fact know that they're true when we look at the at the uh, social data. Are, are those behaviors are carried over in how not only we interact with each other online, but how we interact with brands and um, and and the expectations we have from dialogue with our you know our policymakers, with our teachers. You know, locally, it's a very personal and engaged dialogue, and it it makes a lot of sense. But if you stand back as a you know a local um, you know a local business and think about how do I really understand what the needs of this community, you know, what the needs are of this community, and then how do I serve them here locally? You, you're, you stand to do much better, not only in your, your business, but certainly with connecting authentically with this consumer.
1: Yeah, and I can imagine I'm, I'm running through the previous entrepreneurs we've had on the show. Yeah. We're talking about their ventures and thinking about the applicability of this insight to their work, you know, coming to mind are the apps for students, uh, for teachers to communicate with parents of their students? And what are the Mm -hmm. sort of, you know, what are the Latinx cultural expectations you're referencing around, you know, responsiveness, the dialogue um, being, you know, a two-way dialogue and not a one-way information submission? How would that shape that, you know, piece of information? We've done it with um, healthcare portals and talking about that. So what, Stacey, what are some other insights? Because that's one that I think, you know, as I'm, I'm illustrating, you can imagine great applicability of yeah and both of the
0: things you just brought up so healthcare and and teachers and you know being able to connect with students feel like they make so much sense for this community because this community is so much younger so just you know by point of reference mm-hmm. the hispanic community the median age in the us is 28 and the median age for non hispanic white is 43 Yikes. so you can imagine that well <laughs> i don't know if it yikes for 43 i'm on right in there
2: no it's a big but, difference that's <laughs> what i was you know, not not yikes yes. at 43 but it's a big difference
0: yeah, no, and I, I'm, I'm teasing. absolutely. It's a big difference. What it is mostly a big difference in though is life stage, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, well, 28 is right on the cusp of those major acquisition years where you're looking into, you know, you're starting your family, you're out of college, you're starting your career, you're, uh, you know, acquiring your first home, you're acquiring your banking uh, you know, partners,
1: maybe, your shopping right? patterns, furniture all these things. Yeah.
0: Building a well a program for for wealth or for you know building wealth within your family or at least looking into those things and so as you're building your family and, and building your plan for for wealth things like you know healthcare and 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 uh, you know connecting with your teachers on your children all of those things are really relevant and because this community is so much younger they've really grown up in the digital age. Uh, and so their first line of uh, a source of information is going to be, you know, their cell phone and the Internet. And it's interesting when you look at the data, um, if you look at, you know, propensity to own devices, that's, you know, it's way over indexed for cell phones and, and tablets, but not for a desktop computer. And I think initially, you know, uh, sort of, you know, less um, less researched people might say, oh, well, you know, maybe that's a, a function of income or something, but it's actually not. It's that cell phone, mobile phone is the first device of preference. And because the community is so much younger, things like a desktop computer in the home aren't necessarily a you know a must-have the same way a tablet
1: sure. or a game console. People are going to be home. talking about them like we talk about landlines now. Yeah. Like, I don't have,
0: why would I have a computer at home? Yeah, I my phone love and. my landlines.
1: <laughs> we love them for uh, connections. When we talk to guests on the phone, the connections are clear. So that's what's keeping the landlines sure. alive. Um, what are other trends that I think we can... Um, you know, that we can learn from you that have the applicability of this insight you just shared with us?
0: Well, so if I'm, I'm, you know, building off of this uh, connectivity insight and this, this, um, you know, uh, Need to be connected to one, ch- one another. One of the things we see is that there's this um, evolution in shopping, right? And our report focuses a lot on shopping, mm-hmm. but I think the insights from within it really tell us a bit more about how Latinos are navigating these trying times and and you know uh, stepping forward with their power and and their voices. But uh, you know and the insight on shopping being a family affair I think is really important. Latinos shop. You would think uh, you would think that. Same age, non-Latinos would have you know basically similar behaviors when it comes to things like using social media or going to, um, uh, you know, uh, big box stores or going to warehouse uh, on warehouse shopping trips that, you know, spend per basket. They don't their counterparts who almost look the same demographically, but are not. Latino do these things at a much lower index than than, uh, Latinos do. So that tells us two things. It tells, well, one, we know the family size is larger in a Latino household, right? You have uh, an average household size of 3.26 versus 2.2 for total adults, which, by the way, Latinos are in there. So that that number is actually, you know, it's not necessarily comparing it to non-Latino households. But because the household sizes are larger, things like shopping together, larger purchases, and the need... To, um, you know, or the interest, rather, in uh, in couponing and in um, being open to uh, digital and mobile uh, ads coming to let you know, at the point of purchase, are much greater. And those are, are great insights. You know, if you're a brand or a retailer and you're looking at, you know, what are the um, you know what are the the touch points that are going to create the most value for this consumer, uh, because you want to develop an authentic relationship, not one that is a mirror of what you're doing in other uh, markets. These are the types of insights that can help you better understand and uh, navigate those waters.
2: So, is there anything that was especially surprising to you when you when you were doing this research, or were you, fi- you know, familiar enough with the culture that it all made sense? and all fit together quite well.
0: Well, I'm I'm familiar with the culture because it's it, uh, you know it's, it's also my cultural background, but my experience here in the U.S. is different uh, as a first generation Latina than. You know, my dad who came here, you know, when he was 15 and and, uh, others in my family. But one thing I think that's maybe, you know, the most interesting or or perhaps most fascinating is the impact that Latinos are having on American culture by and large. Right. So things like music is such a great example of um, of the sort of impact that's that's just viral. When, you know, there isn't probably uh, any given week that you can really navigate around your life without being influenced without hearing uh, Latin music, certainly, you know, since last year, and of course, the success of uh, Despacito, <laughs> which you'll remember, and that actually happens to be the, you know, the most viewed uh, video on YouTube globally, ever. And so I think that's really, you know, the, the, it's something like 6.3, <clears throat> pardon me, billion views. And that is, that's a compelling number. I mean, there's only 7.8 billion of us, so you know that it doesn't mean that that everyone's done it, but it, <laughs> it speaks to the popularity. That wasn't all done by Latinos.
2: And do you think the the do you think the population is aware of their their growing power and influence? Are they willing to exert it as consumers, potentially as voters, et etc.?
0: I think so. I mean, and one example of that is sort of this awakening political cloud that that we've seen really just since the midterms. And I imagine, uh, or I, I actually shouldn't say imagine, I understand that um, the community, even just based on the events of the past
2: you know, months, uh, 20 yeah, months, and yeah.
0: certainly, uh, I was going to say not this week, the past 20 months and certainly the past few weeks, are really um, using social again as an extension of, of, uh, of you know what we are predisposed to do to, to sort of mobilize for social justice. But um, political clout, is one area where I think Latinos are really sort of having their eyes open. You know, there's an interesting section within the new report uh, where we take a look at, at midterm. And, you know, one of the things that we always hear is that Latinos don't turn out to vote. We don't show up and we have very low voter turnout right. numbers. But in fact, if you take a closer look at the data, what you'll see is that if you look at the spread or the difference between registered voters and then those that actually vote, the spread is actually more favorable for Latinos than it is for the total population. You have about 9%, right? So if you have, for example, 38% that were um, registered to vote and you have 29% that are actually coming out to vote, you're looking at a 9% difference. Or for the total population, it's more like 12%. Hmm. So, uh, you know, the overall, if you take that voted number back to the population, it's going to look like a, uh, you know, a lower number. But if you look at it compared to registered, Latinos do show up to vote, and they show up a better a you know with a better percentage than the total population. So the challenge then is moving the registration up that registration yeah. number yep. as that number you're right those numbers move in lockstep right, and so this is the challenge and um, Latinos being counted having their voices heard. Uh, we also talk a lot in our report about the importance of census.
1: Yep, yep. It, Cheryl and I are just nodding. Yep, thoughtfully. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, and
0: Latinos being counted and standing up.
1: Yeah, that's that's those are very powerful statistics around voting turnout and and voting registration, the real power of that Um, to turn our eyes towards the social issues that are most pressing. You touched on that in the beginning. Help paint a picture for us of what, you know, we we have the the pleasure and sometimes the burden of covering a breadth of social impact issues on Mm -hmm. the show. Um, What what's top of mind for the Latinx community? What are the issues that are most pressing and most of concern to them?
0: But, you know, there, there, there are several now, but I guess the, the most important I would say is, um, is having their, their uh, power be recognized, right? I think the community, from everything I've heard and even all the communities that we've had recently, uh, I consistently hear the message from Latinos that it is important for them to have their voices heard and, uh, for their stories told. And I think that's why the work we do at Nielsen is so important. You know, we're often thought of, as I said earlier, as a media research company, and, and we're telling the story of, um, of ratings and of, and of music and of products. But uh, this economic and social science research is very important, and the, the work we're doing today has never been more important. Bringing st- forward the story of economic empowerment, the community needs the story. We tell these stories to you know, to brands, certainly, and to um, media companies and policymakers, but we also tell these stories to the community directly, right? Our goal is to empower the community as well so that they know their value and their worth, the worth of their dollar and and what that means for brands and really for the future of America. So we are um, we're really proud to be the one media truth, to be to be the voice of, of uh, you know, of reason and of truth uh, during this time and to tell the story of this consumer. We know that it has been very difficult. But we also know that standing uh, with the community at this time and encouraging the community, be counted. You know, census is, you know, we certainly understand the trepidation around um, everything that is going to occur around census when that all begins uh, shortly, actually. I think Mm -hmm. it it begins early in the year. Uh, It doesn't actually, census day is in April, but as you know, everything begins in January. Um, We certainly understand that. And that's why we uh, went ahead within this report and created a section with some facts So that the Latino community understands their rights and their protections and also the importance of being counted. It underpins, you know, um, millions and millions of business decisions are underpinned with census data, uh, not just uh, the allocation of funds. So we think that's very important. And at Nielsen, we're proud to be part of that story and empowering Latinos to come together around their
2: story. And how are you getting the information from this report out to the Latino community?
0: Well, we do it in several ways. That's a great question. Um, One way is through, you know, what we do, um, a lot of media like we're doing here. Um, But we also do uh, a bit of a roadshow, I guess I would call it, right? And we go, um, of course, we have charge. We go to community groups, we go to faith-based organizations, and we offer workshops and presentations. I do many of them myself, um, where, you know, depending on the group that we're meeting with, where we, you know, provide them some resources and some information on uh, just so that they understand. We, they're like you call them empowerment workshops, and we're happy to come in and share information. Sometimes, you know, broad national data like we have here and sometimes very specific data. Um, there are uh, several folks on our small but mighty team, and we do it nationally, and we do it all year, and we do it with great pride. It's my pleasure, you know, to bring this information to our community and so that, you know, they leave knowing we have an enormous footprint, footprint not only in this city but you know on the economy of america
1: yeah and i I think um you know that that is powerful I'm, i'm really struck by the sort of leading social issue really being representation and the power of storytelling are there any other social impact issues that come up as you know high high priority um for the latinx community that we can you know learn or understand a bit more about from from your work
0: well, there are two kind of interesting ones that I think we didn't really anticipate when we were doing uh, our work initially. And one of them is these evolving attitudes around food. And, and this is relatively new and probably because the community is younger. But we've seen this... Um, uh, you know, sort of, uh, sort of rise over the past few years. And this, this particular year, when we were looking at the data, we thought oh, this was really interesting. Things like food safety and food sourcing—you know, whether or not—which uh, which we hadn't seen really before uh, among the Latino community. It wasn't to say that it's not to say that there wasn't interest; it just wasn't as uh, as pronounced as we see it now. And when you say and food safety, are life... you
1: talking about food insecurity or like safe fishing practices? Oh.
0: I'm talking about um, safe practices. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, not 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 insecurity. Yes, and I, I understand. Thank you for the clarification on the difference. But no, um, it's it is about you know what how food is produced and whether it's produced locally or not and whether there are pesticides that are used and how things are packaged. You know, the you know whether there is a you know too much plastic or these are things that we really haven't seen among the Latino community. It, it was very interesting. I thought too. Huh. This is super interesting. But it also aligns. You know, with this is a younger community. I was going to say so what we yes. Find? They, you know these are things that are, are big socialists so the community is adopting these and bringing these in but at the same time staying absolutely firmly rooted in the traditions and traditional you know lifestyles of Latino behavior one of the things you would expect to see would be sort of this evolution over time we often hear it's, it's a lot of different names for you know acculturation or or whatever but sort of this adoption um, of uh, of American culture, more more specifically than uh, their traditional culture, but we actually do not see that. We see the reverse, and the reason I see that we believe we see the reverse is because of uh, the access to digital content. It's so easy uh, to connect, and what I mean by that is, you know, for me, when I want to connect with something, when I want to connect with cultural content that's meaningful for me, even though I, you know, I'm born and raised here in the United States, when I want to connect with that culture, with, uh, you know, Cuban culture or or some of my Latinidad, it is very easy. It's two clicks away. Mm -hmm. And I can listen to any kind of music that feels right for me. I can watch content. I can see it come through my Instagram stream, uh, which I follow. You know, there are several Several organizations I follow that give me just some wonderful, you know, bite-sized content that's relevant, that's in language, that's meaningful, and so it's actually easier today for me to connect with cultural content and keep that fresh than it was for my dad, you know, uh, 50 years ago. Right. So, uh, so that's one reason that we see that kind of staying alive. Um, and the other thing, and the other thing I think I would add is that, um, along with sort of um, you know, food safety and, and those evolving attitudes around around food preparation is um, the evolving attitudes around social responsibility and the expectation Latinos have for brands. This is really important and increasingly really, you know, the last two years, of course, but just the last several weeks, right? Certainly the last two years, for sure, where we see that this is important now for Latinos, uh, aligning themselves with brands that understand their unique American journey and that value that unique American journey. Um, It is Something that we have been watching for about four years, and I'd say in the past two years, we have maybe we've been watching it for five, but certainly in the past two years, we have seen um, really double-digit uh, gains here, where we're where this is becoming an issue that is really at the top. Latinos wanting to spend their dollars and their time with brands that understand them. You, you know, uh, from a, a very re- in a very real way, understand their contribution and their value.
2: Yeah, and that's not uh, again given the demographics, especially the age demographics, and the just the c- c- you know current culture and trends. That doesn't surprise me at all. But can, so, can you name a, a, was a company? Too. Yep. No, it's my question. <laughs> can you name a company that or a brand that is is doing a really good job at this? Who who would we look up to as somebody who's um, who's got it, who understands it?
0: Well, there are several out there. I'm hesitant to name uh you know any brand specifically because of, you know, just sort of uh the world we're in now. But I will tell you, um, I recall several years ago, uh, and there were several brands that they've really done this and as you mentioned across the social space. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I did want to mention one thing that we see that is interesting is for Latinos, they index higher at valuing those things. So why everybody wants to align wants to align their dollars with brands that are socially responsible and that care about the community, the environment. Uh, for Latinos, they they have a higher index on the um, place and higher index on the, the importance of those things. Wow, so it's okay. more important for them than it is for the total community. Um, Coca Cola does a wonderful job. Now, uh, there's one brand for you. Okay, uh, I, they have stepped...
1: We weren't sure if you're going to name names. So <laughs> tell, tell us tell us <laughs> a little bit about Coca's well. uh, Coke is doing well.
0: Coke does an amazing job. They stepped forward, you know, very early on in support of DACA and Dreamers. And you know, at the time that they did that, several years ago, this was a you know, it was a big deal for a big company. I will tell you, Nielsen, you know, we, I, for the, and I you know, I, I doesn't seem too self-centered, but we, when, you know, we, our CEO, David Kenney, uh, was one of, among the first major CEOs to step forward on the importance of census and the citizenship question. Uh, and, you know, those are the kinds of things I would expect to see, um, across brands yeah. as, uh, as time marches forward. But it is interesting because the community does value, uh, those type of things when they see big brands stepping up aside them and with them on issues.
1: Wonderful. Stacey Diarmas from Nielsen, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for your time. All right. Well, listeners, time flies when you're having fun. We have to wrap up this segment, but we want to thank you for being with us today to discuss these important topics. Uh, Be sure to follow us on Business Radio 132 on Twitter or at Wharton Social. This is Sandy Hunt and Cheryl Kulming coming to you live from the beautiful campus of the University of Pennsylvania for another fun show of dollars and change on Business Radio powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM, Channel 132. We'll talk to you next week.
0: For more insight from Business Radio, please visit
2: businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.